story of a season. He's all by himself, fires into the end zone, caught, touchdown! Here's your host, Truman Chose. You're listening on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Hey, so this is the first episode of the year where I am recording after a full week of NFL action. Uh, It was a very wild and chaotic week. Uh, A good reminder that the only constant in the NFL is change. Uh, We had both of last year's Super Bowl participants, the Rams and Bengals, lost their games, as well as both of the number one seeds in the AFC and NFC last year, the Titans and Packers, uh, both also lost. Uh, So we're going to dig into just a few of those games this week. I wanted to start out with the Steelers-Bengals game. Uh, That was one of the sloppier games in recent memory. Uh, Just to recap what happened, the Bengals had four turnovers in the first half, three of which were interceptions by Joe Burrow. Uh, I only live uh, caught a couple bits of the game, but that was some of the sloppiest I have seen Joe Burrow ever throw. all of his mechanics seemed to be off, and his aim and everything just was nothing to write home about. Uh, unfortunately, the Steelers weren't able to totally capitalize on the turnovers. Um, they barely got anything going. They had a few field goals and touchdowns uh, after the Bengals' turnovers, but they had a six-point lead for most of the for- fourth quarter, following which Burrow threw a pick after a long drive. Uh, then the Steelers punted, the Bengals got it again, then they turned it over on downs, um, then the Steelers punted again, and finally, after numerous shots at the end zone, Joe Burrow threw a touchdown to Jamar Chase to tie it 20-20, to and then this happened. McPherson on for the extra point to put Cincinnati in front. Trying to complete the round. McPherson, it's blocked! What a turn of events! Minka Fitzpatrick! A slow snap and the whole operation took too long. That came courtesy of CBS Sports, Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. So the game was sent to overtime in which there were two missed field goals between the Bengals and Steelers, as well as a couple of punts, before finally, in the closing minutes of the game, the Steelers uh, kicked a field goal to win 23-20. to So I looked, and since the year 2000, um, just for roughly modern NFL history, there have been 140 games with a turnover differential of five or more. Uh, this was one of them, where the Bengals turned the ball over five times, Uh, The Steelers turned it over a zero. 109 of those teams won by more than a single possession, and only four actually lost. So the fact that this was even remotely close, that that it went into overtime and the Steelers were repeatedly in a position to lose, um, is honestly quite astonishing given how sloppy the Bengals played for most of the game. So what does this mean going forward? So I think this does show uh, what I had mentioned before the season starting, that the Bengals are not inevitable. A lot of people, I believe, had kind of picked, you know, the four playoff games where the Bengals and gone, oh, wow, this is one of the 
very best teams in the league. Um, I don't think they're going to totally crash and burn, but I do do think it shows that they are just a average to slightly above average team. Um, I think they're probably going to be fine over the course of the season. It is possible there could be a Super Bowl hangover, uh, and this is just the first sign of that. Personally, I don't think that's going to be the case. I do like Joe Burrow and all his weapons and everything, so I'm not overly concerned. But on the whole, I believe I was proven correct in not seeing the Bengals as the team to beat in the AFC. Additionally, I wouldn't get too hyped up on the Steelers just yet. Uh, I believe they do still have their work cut out for them. Uh, the Again, the fact that they had f- five turnovers they recovered and only one by three, uh, they really could not get much going on offense for most of the game. Their defense is, of course, very, very good. Several weapons, although uh, T.J. Watt's injury for the next few weeks might uh, end up being an issue. But going forward, I would expect the... Steelers to still struggle and be in a lot of closer, more defensive games. Uh, I just don't expect them to be a major force in the AFC. Additionally, I just wanted to point out what would have happened if McPherson had made that extra point and then the Bengals won 21 to 20. Suddenly we would we would be talking about Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, Joe Shiesty, the one who saved the day. Once again, he is unbeatable. And that didn't happen. And instead, we're in a scenario where the Bengals are staring 0-1 in the face. They are last place in the division. And if it hadn't been for that one long snapper injury, we would probably be discussing the Bengals as a 1-0 team that had a gritty defensive win and managed to just want it more than the Steelers did. Moving on, uh, there was the Broncos-Seahawks game on Monday night. Uh, This was one where I had previously discussed the Seahawks as being the potential frisky team that no one wants to play in the NFC. Uh, I am apparently a coward. I picked the Seahawks to be last in the division, which I should add could still happen. But apparently I was proven right with my first instinct on the Seahawks might be better than people think this year. I listened too much to the general consensus and just assumed the Seahawks would suck. I do think that the Broncos are going to be better over the course of the season, and I would have picked them to win in the first place. But I do think this game showed that the Seahawks might be a better team than most people were expecting. And I'm ashamed that I didn't just uh, go with my gut and pick the Seahawks as the frisky team this year. Uh, So I think what most people are remembering from that game is at the very end... Uh, The Broncos were facing fourth and five, 20 seconds remaining with three timeouts. They were trailing by one, and they were on the Seahawks 47. And uh, head coach Nathaniel Hackett decided to have their kicker attempt a 64-yard field goal, which would have been one of the longest in NFL history. Now, let me ask you this. Do you trust a kicker to make a 64-yard field goal, or would you trust Russell Wilson to get at least five yards, potentially more, with three timeouts and 20 seconds remaining, so that way you could get in position for an easier field goal? I am going to be banking on Russell Wilson in that situation. I am going to be banking on the potential future Hall of Fame quarterback that you just handed a 
hundreds of millions dollar extension to uh, this offseason. Honestly, what was Nathaniel Hackett thinking? Now, to be fair, he has his, his regrets, uh, as seen from this clip. I think we had anticipated, we were expecting to go for it on fourth down, and then you hit the mark. You know, the mark that we had all set before we started, we said uh, 46 yards, 46-yard line was where we wanted to be, and uh, we got there. So we had to make the decision if we wanted to give it to, uh, you know, Brandon, and we did. And it didn't work. It sucks, but, hey, that's part of it. That clip came courtesy of the Denver Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett. So I'm fairly certain we all agree that, no, Nathaniel Hackett should not have tried to kick the field goal in that situation. A potentially more interesting question is, what about earlier when they had a few minutes remaining in the fourth quarter and they had – a fourth and eight uh, trailing by four. Uh, they elected to kick the field goal. So should they have gone for it? Uh, personally, I'm fine with that decision. Most of the time this year, I will likely be a major pr- proponent of being aggressive, going for it on fourth down, going for two. Uh, but I just wanted to have one instance where I defend just k- kicking the field goal. Um, the Seahawks are only up 17 to 13. It's not like their offense is doing super hot. Um, I can absolutely see a scenario where the Broncos kick the field goal and then later are able to potentially get into field goal range. Um, eight yards is a decent amount. I believe that most of the advanced stats would suggest you go for it technically, but in this particular situation, Uh, Given the opponents that the Broncos are facing, I am perfectly fine with the field goal. Looking forward, I do think the Broncos will ultimately be fine. Uh, At this point, I would pick the Chiefs to win the division, changing my preseason pick. But I do think the Broncos are still very much in wildcard contention. Uh, I think that most likely this is just a game where the Seahawks are better than most people had realized, and Pete Carroll was extra motivated to Uh, defeat his former quarterback. Uh, Moving on to the Giants-Titans game. Uh, This is another one with a decision which I wouldn't term controversial. If it had failed, it might be. Uh, The Giants had had trailed for the majority of the game. They were scoreless in the first half. But in the fourth quarter, they managed to get within seven, and they were trailing uh, 20-13 when with a minute remaining, uh, the Giants scored a touchdown, and then Brian Dable actually elected to go for two to try and win the game. The Giants are going for two. They're going for the win with 106 to play. Now listen, if it pans out, it's the gutsiest call of all time. If it doesn't, you're sure going to hear about it in that New York market we mentioned earlier. Here we go. Two-point try for the lead. James, the motion man. Shovel. Barkley breaks a tackle. Dives in for two. Wow. That came courtesy of Fox Sports, Kevin Kugler, and Mark Sanchez. So last year, the Baltimore Ravens had a couple of these incidents last year where uh, John Harbaugh decided that they were going to go for the win both times. Uh, Both times it failed. Uh, there was much debate on was that a smart decision or not. Uh, now, in this case, the Giants were leaving the Titans with a minute remaining. Uh, most stat nerds will argue for going for two if it's the very end of the game or you just have a couple of seconds remaining. 
Uh, but actually, they will argue against going for two in several instances, particularly when you're leaving the other team with enough time to march down the field and either score a field goal or score a touchdown. Uh, the theory being that they will act more aggressively since they are trailing instead of tied, and they're not just going to be content playing for overtime. They uh, must play to win the game. And so technically most analytics would actually probably say that Brian Dable made the wrong decision in this case. Uh, I personally am very much in favor of this one. I think that Brian Dable is establishing a culture of aggressiveness. Uh, The Giants have not won a home opener in about five years. They've been one of the worst teams in the NFL in that time span. I think that he is trying to establish an identity for his team. Uh, So personally, I really like the decision. Saquon Barkley had been on fire that game. The Titans' offense was starting to uh, falter down the stretch. Uh, Yes, the Titans did almost win towards the very end uh, when they had a field goal they missed. But honestly, I just really love the gutsy decision that... Uh, Brian Dable made, so I am very much in support of this one. Uh, I do question the specific shovel play he chose. Watching the play, uh, Saquon Barkley could very easily have not made it in, Uh, so if he does make that decision in the future, I wouldn't mind a different choice of play, but honestly, props to him. Uh, The Giants are now 1-0. They are tied for the NFC East lead, so congratulations, uh, Giants fans. All right, so moving on to the next segment, we have power rankings following week one. Uh, I'm not going to run through all 32 teams. I just wanted to list the ones that I felt were the best. I think that right now there is a pretty clear tier of the top six teams in the league and then everyone else. Uh, I'll give my top eight, so I'll throw two in that I think are probably decent. But the top six are the ones I feel the most strongly about. Uh, They're the ones that are currently leading on 538s rankings as well as football outsiders uh, based on last week. So number one, Buffalo Bills, no surprise there. They beat the defending Super Bowl champions on the road uh, by three touchdowns. Uh, Yes, they were tied at the end of the half, but if they just fix a couple of their sloppy mistakes, I think that they are absolutely the team to beat. They look good on defense and on offense. Uh, I don't think that there is a realistic argument right now for anyone but the Bills being the best team in the league based on what we've seen. Uh, Number two, very close behind them, I will put the Chiefs, who I had predicted to lose, admittedly just for fun, but then they beat the Cardinals by 23 points, and it wasn't even that close uh, previously in the game before some garbage time. Uh, Patrick Mahomes threw five touchdowns. Apparently, he's not going to miss Tyreek Hill too much. Uh, Between him and Andy Reid's play design, I don't know why I wanted to bet against them in September especially against the chaotic Cardinals. So may culpa there. I think that pretty clearly they are the number two team behind the Bills. When they meet up in a few weeks, that will be a heck of a game to watch. So then after that, I was debating a little bit. I'm actually going to put the Vikings at number three, slot them in there ahead of the Buccaneers. I debated on that. Uh, my main concern with the Buccaneers is just that they did – only beat the Cowboys by 16 points, and 12 of those came from field goals, uh, so they couldn't quite get the ball moving all the way. 
I also think that the Packers are tougher competition than the Cowboys. Uh, so what the Vikings did did impress me more than what the Bucks did. Um, so I'm going to put the Vikings number three. I think that the new system they have with their head coach is going to work really well for Kirk Cousins. I think their defense has improved. Uh, Buccaneers, uh, assuming that Tom Brady stays healthy at age 45, I think are still going to be a force to contend with. Uh, following them, I'm going to put the Chargers at number five. Uh, beat the Raiders 24-19 in a game that also was not actually that close as the final score would indicate. They were kind of the media darlings of the offseason. They have tons of really good weapons on offense and defense. Keenan Allen is probably going to be out uh, this week against the Chiefs, so that will hurt them a bit. But right now, I have no hesitations at, with uh, referring to them as a top-five team. Following that, I'm going to put the Ravens. Um, so all six of these teams, Bills, Chiefs, Bucks, Vikings, Chargers, Ravens, I think everyone generally assumed would be at least pretty good this year. And they're the only ones who both we expected to be good and genuinely looked good in their games. Uh, I'm just putting the Ravens last. Given that they did only beat the Jets, they had some weaker competition than the other teams. But right now, I think that there is a pretty clear uh tier of the top six teams or so following them i'm gonna put the eagles at number seven and the dolphins at eight i did pick the eagles to get the number one seed in the nfc i just have concerns about their defense right now they looked very good for most of the game but they did allow the lions to come within three at the end uh dolphins i think looked pretty good against the patriots but they only scored 13 offensive points one of those points came off of a turnover i think that Tua is likely to improve some more with Tyreek Hill, but I do have questions about his ceiling. So I'm going to put the Dolphins at 8 and the Eagles at 7. I could see them moving up, and we'll see what happens after this week. Uh, then finally, we're going to go th through some game picks. Um, first of all, we have the Colts at the Jaguars. Uh, Colts are favored right now. Um, they also have never – they haven't won in Jacksonville in almost a decade. Uh, no matter how bad the Jaguars have been through that stretch, the Colts have found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, the Jaguars are frisky. I had predicted them to beat the Commanders. They didn't, but they did keep it close. I think that they are a legitimate team this year. I do think that the Colts are also very good, but in this particular spot where Doug Peterson is really motivated to get his team a win, I like Jacksonville, and so I'm going to pick them to upset the Colts 23 to 20. Uh, then following that, we have the Jets at the Browns. The Jets are still going to be without the services of Zach Wilson, so they will be starting Joe Flacco again. Uh, the Browns were actually, I know they only won by two points last week, but I think they looked pretty good. Right now, DVOA has them as the seventh best team in the league based just on how they performed in week one. Um, so if anything, I think the Browns might be slightly underrated uh, in this spot. So I'm going to pick them to beat the Jets handily. I don't really trust New York in this spot. So I will say that the Browns win by a score of 24-6. to six. Uh, Next, we have the Seahawks at 49ers. So I had bailed on the Seahawks previously. This might come back to bite me, but I'm going to stick with them this time. Uh, 49ers are favored by 10, uh, but I think the Seahawks can at least keep it close. Uh, but, but the 49ers had struggled, and Chicago lost the game in the end. 
Um, yes, the field was very sloppy, but I think the Seahawks will at least keep this a tight contest. I am going to pick them to upset the 49ers and get off to a 2-0 start uh, by a score of 17-10. to uh, Then next we have uh, Bengals at Cowboys. Earlier I had expressed my doubts as to whether the Bengals would have a Super Bowl hangover. Uh, this particular week I'm going to bank on them to still be kind of sloppy. Uh, the Cowboys will be at home. I know that they are without Dak Prescott, but last year with Cooper Rush, they were able to keep it close against the Vikings and actually win that game. Uh, so I think that they can beat the Bengals in this spot or at least keep it close. I will I will pick the Bengals to win 23-20, to but ultimately I think that this will be a much closer game than is anticipated. Uh, then finally, we have the Commanders at the Lions. Commanders look better than I expected, potentially. That being said, I'm still going to go with the Lions in a home spot. I believe that Dan Campbell will be very anxious to get a win after uh, keeping it close against the Eagles last week. I think he wants to uh, actually be a competitive team this year, not just be the frisky team. Uh, Commanders, I'm still expecting Carson Wentz to kick in at some point. Uh, Speaking of which, ironically, this is a game between Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, both uh, cast-offs from their old teams that that had uh, drafted them first and second a few years back. Uh, So interesting from that perspective. I will pick Jared Goff to win this battle, uh, 24-20. So there you have it. uh, Those are my picks for uh, the upcoming week. Uh, We'll see what happens, I'm sure that it will be an exciting week of football action. This has been Story of a Season with Truman Chose on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.